Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Full Time Whistle podcast, hosted by me, Callum Brown. It's rather fitting that my first guest on the podcast was in fact a man that had to blow the Full Time Whistle on many occasions. It's former SFA and FIFA referee Callum Murray. Callum was one of Scotland's top officials in his prime and refereed for over 20 years up and down the country. In this interview, he discusses his early memories playing football, how he got into refereeing and the ups and downs of his career. Just a wee disclaimer as well, due to the ongoing pandemic, this was of course not recorded face-to-face, so apologies for any audio issues. Uh, I've tried my best in the edit, but um, anyway, that's enough from me. Here's the interview, and I hope you enjoy. So, I'm delighted to be joined by Callum Murray. Callum, how are you? Fine, thanks Callum. Nice to see you. Good. So, um, just quickly, a, a little bit about your career um, as a referee, of course. Um, it may not have always been refereeing for you. Did, did you play football growing up? Did you ever go to watch it at all? Were you any good? Certainly growing up. Uh, very, very keen footballer. Um, played from a young age. Uh, played all schools football, all through schools football and, uh, and amateur football as well. Um, and enjoyed it as a goalkeeper. So growing up, my amateur strength and heroes in the early days would be before your time would be people like, like David Harvey. 1974 World Cup, Alan Nuff, 78 World Cup. Um, people of that era, obviously the Scotland team in the late 70s and early, early 80s, um, when they, they had some great players in their, in their sides. And they uh, uh, very much enjoyed the international football scene um, and enjoyed playing until, until I was playing in the early 20s. After I left school, I carried on playing amateur football um, in Edinburgh. Where I grew up, and uh, enjoyed both the Saturday and the Lothian amateurs, and some people may be familiar with the, the Major League, the Sun, Sunday amateurs, which I'm not sure is any is going um, any any longer. But certainly, I was um, I, w- I was a keen a keen footballer during that during these days, and um, probably got into refereeing via affiliations with, with the Royal High School in Edinburgh, where I was a pupil. And uh, after I'd left, I was asked to go back and help coach some of the age groups under 14s through to under under 18s. And um, as is often the case, she ended up having to to read the games, so mm-hmm. turn up and, and and look after the, the the lads, and end up having to referee the games. Um, it was through a couple of teachers that I knew at the school, um, Bill Barkley and Pete Clark, and went on to uh, Birmingham High School in Edinburgh in 1991. To sit the twelve-week referee examination in, uh, along with uh, along with Crawford Allen. I don't know if you know Crawford. Who's yep. um, he's now actually the head of referee in operations. I met Crawford there and went through the course together, um, and became good friends then, and um, have remained good friends throughout the refereeing career. So, um, early days uh, refereeing, it really just um, as I say to initially just to get my refereeing certificate and. To carry on playing and just um, help out on a Saturday morning, so that's how it all started. So, so how does it go from there? How do you go from you know your your Sunday morning, Saturday morning refereeing to you know doing what you did? How how did you progress through the ranks as such? Yeah, well, effectively, what you do, you, well, what I did anyway was was a quite a typical path. Was I went through schools football, and I went into the juveniles footballs in Edinburgh as well. Um, and the two leagues, which were basically feeder leagues for referees going into junior football, were the Lothian under-18s and under-20 
under 21 leagues, which were run by John Robinson, who has recently retired as the secretary after a, a, good, a good number of years' service uh, to youth football in, in, in the East of Scotland. So uh, I basically decided that Saturdays, where I was going to be um, uh, committing, I was going to commit myself to refereeing on Saturdays. Um, and you tended to find that after you've been refereeing in the 18s for um, a number of months, then the uh, development team within Edinburgh District Referees Association would take an interest in you, um, particularly if you're at an age where you have potential to progress. So I can remember getting a couple of actually unofficial observations from um, from experienced ex-referees at the time, Jack Cambridge, Howard Wilson, Bill Crombie, who's uh, who's currently active at that time, they come along and watch you doing games in under 18, under 21s, give you advice, talk about what um, what you were doing what you're doing well, obviously, um, see if you had any uh, natural gifts and natural talent for refereeing, but also steers you down um, the, the route when you were making errors. And obviously you're quite naive at, at, at that stage in your career. And, um, a, lot, a very steep learning curve within under 18s and, 20, and 21s. So it was a case of I did two years in the under 18 and under 21 juveniles, and then went into um, the junior football arena, which, um, was um, going back would be 1995 when I started in the junior football. So, very first game being a local derby between Fulton United and Whitburn, not far from here, Callum. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly a, a local derby. Remember, seven or eight hundred, and it was a, a complete step up from from the the juvenile football. But um, a great experience and a great start with juniors. So, juniors, we are bread and butter. You. Um, Got a junior game probably in the early stages. You got a junior game every second week from the association secretary, and um, very much where you learned you learned your craft in refereeing in the juniors because you're out on your own against um, a higher level of football. Um, a lot of players had maybe played at a higher level and were coming down the way. A lot of players maybe were on their way up and had been uh, farmed out from senior teams. And obviously you've got guys who had been uh, long established in the juniors, so it's it a good experience to, to refine the juniors for, for a number of years. Um, but that was 1995. 1997 I actually jumped onto the senior list as a Category 3 official, which um, to give you an idea of the of the stepping stones in the referee, as a Category 3, then as a Category 2, um, and then as a Category 1. Um, I was quite fortunate that I made the the progression from category three to category one in in a relatively short space of time, in three years actually. So I went into category three in 1997. Um, I had two years of category three um, and then went into category two in 1999 season, started in 1999 season. So I've still seen in these days that you would do a good number of years in category two before you would be uh, progressed to, to, you know, the ultimate which was category ones. So, um, uh, the way things worked out, there was a, a, a need for eight Category 1 referees in 2000, year 2000, so um, they had to dig, dig a little bit deeper than they perhaps wanted to, to bring the, the Category 1 through that year, so so it wasn't through ability, it was through necessity, I think. <laughs> so um, they they brought through, as I say, eight new Category 1s. Now that, that was an interesting year in 2000, so I just noted some of the, the referees that went up to Category 1 that year. Maybe familiar with, with Callum, so we had um, we had guys like Craig Thompson, who mm-hmm. appeared in the 2000, uh, Ian Brines, um, 
Charlie Richmond, um, Steve Conroy, uh, and myself. So out, out of the out of the eight that went up, you know, five um, five made it made it to the, the Premier League. So it was quite a good success rate in, on, on that. But um, I thought going to this, the juniors um, in 1995 was a step up. And um, certainly going to to category one after a season was was um, you know was, it was pinch yourselves time. You know, it was, it was very um, very surprised and very honoured to get to category one so quickly. So what what was it like going from as you said there juniors to the Premier League? What's obviously the main the main differences? Um, well, in effect, what you you would still you would still very much do your apprenticeship, even though you went to Category One. So it wasn't a case that you went Category One and then all of a sudden you were in the in the Premiership. Column. It was very much a case of you would referee in the lower leagues. Um, um, my very first game as a as a Category One referee was actually Peter Head's inaugural game in the in the Scottish Football League. So that was back in August two thousand. Peter Edmund Rose. So I did my did my apprenticeship, if you like, uh, in the lower leagues in the third and uh, second divisions, where you would be down at Berwick, you would be at Stranraer, you'd be up at Peterhead, Elgin City, um, and that was a, a that was a that was a great time um, in your lifting because uh, you were going to grounds that you know you hadn't you hadn't been that particularly with a, a supporter. You may have been, been to a few Callum in your in your. Uh, spectating days with Livingston, but um, certainly there've been places like uh, school my dad, places like Elgin Borough Briggs. You'd go to Station Park Forfar. You would be going to Fourth Bank, and go to Dumbarton, the old Bughead as well. You know, before the, we took that um, and um, moved to the new stadium. So he was actually doing a tour of a tour of Scotland. But importantly, that time as well, you were also acting as uh, a fourth official. So while you were refereeing, probably two weeks out of two weeks out of three, or probably two weeks out of a month throughout the season, you were also um, acting as a fourth official to the more experienced referees. Um, and at that time, the more experienced the top referees would be um, your likes of your Kenny Clarks. Um, Hugh Dallas was there. Uh, quite. Um, John Robottom, who was an excellent referee, um, underrated referee, but a, a fantastic referee, you know, a really, really talented guy to be, to be out in games with Michael McCurry, um, as well as two referees in Edinburgh, um, John Underhill and Doug McDonald, who were, who were category one and a great source of advice and, um, and, and support during that, during that particular time. So as well as refereeing, you were, you were very much um, learning. And I think that's important to these, tell the young referees now, that when they are out acting as fourth officials in the first two or three seasons, then you know watch watch how these guys operate, watch how they first of all watch how they referee. There's um, good habits you can pick up. Um, you'll you'll undoubtedly you undoubtedly will. Um, but it's not just that; it's just how they deal with managers, how they deal with players, even the protocol before um, before matches, and um, even little things like you know if there's a if it's a live television match. Dealing with the floor manager from either you know Sky or BT Sport or BBC, just uh, the subtle things that you need to be aware of. Um, which when then when you went back as a referee, you were sort of um, you were well versed in how to to operate um, and how to deal with certain situations. So it was a good apprenticeship. I think um, people sometimes forget that referees obviously aren't full time like they are you know down south. 
um, they have lives, they have other careers and things outside of football. So how did you balance refereeing with your full-time job, I believe you've got? With some difficulty at times, I'll, I'll, not, I'll, not, I'll not lie. There's, um, there, there's no question that it's a, it's a balancing um, it's, it's a balancing act at the best of the times. Um, but particularly when you're, um, when you're advancing refereeing as well, and it becomes more of a priority sometimes in, in your job. I shouldn't really say that, but it sometimes it did at times. So yeah, so my two, two employers were, were Menzies and, and Sky. Um, and uh, obviously, when you're at the top level, it, it was it, flexibility was was a, a big, well, it was was key uh, when you were refereeing. Um, particularly when you became FIFA international referee, I was um, fortunate enough to be FIFA for for uh, five seasons. So that became um, that became in, in some ways a, a lot of a problem in terms of your work because you'd have to you know request three days off at fairly short notice. Yeah, travel and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there was quite a lot of travel involved, um, and it could be quite intense at times as well. Plus, you've got to obviously juggle your family life as well, two, um, two young children um, who um, at that time you know, were, were both you know, primary and, and approaching secondary school ages. So um, there was, um, you know, was a real balancing act to be, to be done, um, and you needed a lot of support um, for your family to, to achieve to achieve that. So was there ever a point, you, you mentioned in the difficulties there, was there ever a point where you thought, why, why am I doing this? I'm going to chuck this in or focus more on your job, things like that? I have to be honest, no, um, just because uh, I, 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 never, I never found it firstly a situation that I couldn't cope with um, in terms of the, um, the partitioning of your, your job, your family life and the refereeing. And um, referee did become almost such an important part of your integral part of your life that, that at no stage did I, did I think considered um, stopping it. Um, I was quite fortunate in terms of a charmed life in some ways when I was referee, and never, um, other than an injury situation which um, which I had to overcome, which took me out for a, for a full season um, in 2007. Um, I, I didn't have any um, real difficulties in, in my refereeing and, and juggling it, so um, I found. In, in that respect, it was okay, but um, certainly you look back at, at times and think, you know, how did how did they manage that? You're, you're working your full time job just now, that's hard enough. But you're mm-hmm. trying to think how you to to fit in the to the football as well. There's often, you know, the question asked, who'd be a referee? Um, you know, you've mentioned there the difficulties, things like that. Why why would you recommend it to people? Because um, looking on, maybe as a spectator. I've done it myself. Sometimes referees get, you know, far too much slack and, and things from the, from the players and the management and, and especially the fans. So why, why, why did you, you've obviously mentioned why you went into it, but why would you encourage others to go into it? Um, really, uh, there's a number of reasons why I would, I would uh, promote refereeing. Um, first of all, if you like football, uh, it's, it really allows you to become an integral part of football. And there's a, a, a large technical aspect to it as well. Um, but it's it's really it's a combination of both the technical and the, the physical side that, that appealed appealed to me as he's played played for a number of years. Um, and I think for me as, as well, I was I'd be probably quite late to going into refereeing. I was 24 before I uh, uh, I sat on referee examinations and certificates. So um, that was a good time for me to get involved. Um, sometimes you see people come in maybe a little bit too young. Um, where they've maybe not got enough life experience to, to cope with it. But I think um, 
I think the key thing in terms of in what I've seen um, in terms of the role of the secretary and as super observer in, in the local associations is sometimes people come in um, too quickly and try to do too much too soon with everything. And it's just a case of just, just getting yourself, get the basics, make sure you learn your craft, make sure you learn and listen to those that are there and are to help you. Um, and you get a, a, you know, a good base to then, to, to then work from. I think once you've got through the first two or three years in refereeing, you tend to find that the retention rate drops considerably and people, whether, whether they are an amateur referee or junior football or, or juvenile or whatever, or want to progress through the ranks, you tend to find once they've gone through the first two years that uh, people um, then stay within refereeing uh, and, and then enjoy careers at whichever level. Um, Lifestyle is a big thing because it's, it's it's very heavy on the fitness. Even just now, you, you know, you do in many ways you're hardwired to keep yourself fit mm-hmm. and, and train um, because the the extent that you had to train. It's probably the biggest change I saw in all my time in refereeing was the amount of training you had to do just to to remain at the same level. Um, you've all, you're also dealing with you're also dealing with. Um, Elite level players as well. You're dealing with uh, you know players at a very very top level, and you've got to remember that everything they do is geared towards the Saturday as well. So you tend to find, as a referee, um, that you as soon as you get your appointment in on the Tuesday, then your whole working week, so to speak, is geared towards that Saturday match. Obviously, there's a practical side of it as well in terms of how you're going to arrange your, your travel to. If, if, if you need an overnight stay, if you're going to, um, if you've got a Sunday match, how are you going to do it? Sometimes you have to double up as well and you'd be, you'd be refereeing on the, maybe the Friday night match and then fourth official on the Saturday or the Sunday. So you would then have to you know, work out logistics of travel and you'd have to work out um, meeting point pre-match with your, your assistant referees and with the club. You'd obviously do a little bit of analysis and homework on the team's you know, have you had them before that season? Is there any history between the clubs? Um, who's suspended, for example? You'd have to look in that, that level of detail. And then mm-hmm. you would down and see, you know, has there been problems between um, particular players before in the match? So you'd have to sit down and do your homework. And that's maybe part of refereeing that, that people don't necessarily see, the, the analysis and the homework that goes on behind the scenes. And we've got a facility called Yscout, which... Um, allows you to have a look at various teams. For example, Livingston, I could go into my scout and, and, and check how Livingston set up at corner kicks for, corner kicks against, um, possession statistics, um, um, times of goals, you know, the, you know and, and that might sound maybe a little bit too technical um, and you can get bogged down a wee bit that, but some, sometimes you do get some good information from that. But um, um, we always encourage the young referees as well to be fully prepared, never prejudge situations or, or, or overreact to situations, but um, knowledge in advance going to games can be very useful. So people, I think, sometimes just think referees just rock up to a game on a Saturday or a Sunday, but you've, you're saying you, you've got to prepare all week. What What is a typical day, sorry, a typical week like, you know, in the, in the life of a referee in terms of training and things like that leading up to a game? Well, what you tend to do, if I can start perhaps on the on the Tuesday Tuesday lunch thing, because that's when the, the appointments um, come out. So you will see, for example, 
you will see, for example, you've got Aberdeen versus St. Mirren on the Saturday. Um, and your observer will be noted and your two assistants in fourth official would, would be, would be um, allocated at that stage. So traditionally, um, Tuesday nights was Tuesday nights were always training nights for referees as well. So that's probably your hardest session of the of the week, whereas you would meet up with the other referees in your association. Um, in Edinburgh District, we used Orium just now, but um, historically we've used various venues in uh, Craig's Craigswood Sports Centre as well for the track. Mm -hmm. So you do um, you do your hard session on the Tuesday night. You'd probably do another session either on the Wednesday or the Thursday. Uh, and you would taper it down towards the weekend um, for your game on, on the Saturday. Um, if you go to Aberdeen, I would tend to, if I was going to Aberdeen, and if it was an early kickoff, I would stay overnight up in Aberdeen. Uh, and um, I would arrange to be head up about seven o'clock on a Friday night. Um, you'd meet at the hotel with other um, officials before the game. You would meet both the um, home team liaison who would come. Um, and collect you from the hotel, who you got to know through the years as well. Uh, and you would head head to the ground, um, where you'd be met by um, you'd be met by um, the host club. Aberdeen would be there, and obviously, you'd first of all, do pre-match inspections. Um, team lines would be an hour beforehand. Calm. Um, the observer would pop in just to to say hello. There'd be an SPL delegate that would be there. The police would pop in. The medical staff would pop in. You tend to find that the referee's door was it was a revolving door. A number of people come in. Then the press would come in. You get somebody um, from either BBC or, or, or the radio or wherever coming in and looking for the team lines, just have a chat with you about if you've been a European game or, or whatever. So, so that was that. So obviously, the game the game's the game. Uh, and then after the match, the observer would pop in just for a, a short debrief, as would the delegate. And then uh, the managers are, are entitled to come and occasionally they would come in um, knocking your door if they had any queries or they weren't happy about something or they just wanted to just catch up with a bit in anything specific. Um, and then you would head back down. Your observer would phone you on the, on the Sunday for a, a fuller debrief. Um, he would probably wait until Sunday night, so if there's been any footage in the match available to him, he would, he would have the... Uh, he'd be in the privileged position of going and have another review of certain situations um, and you would get your report would come out on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and that's that's a typical week um, if you've just got a Saturday game. But um, if you throw European games into the mix as well, obviously it was, it was a, a different scenario as well. You would, um, you, if it was a Wednesday night European game, you'd be away on the Tuesday morning. Um, you would have to be in the, the host city 24 hours before the match. Um, and um, if you think that there's a lot of people come in during a Premier League match, um, there's so many different people associated with um, with both the clubs and UEFA when you go to European matches. Um, and again, that's where experience comes in, but you may be able to base fourth position in European matches. So you're then, um, as I say, well-versed on the protocol when, when it comes to, to Europe. Um, and obviously your game tend to be, you tend to find in European matches, the, match, the games kicked off maybe about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. So it was a very sort of late finish by the time you got back, did the debrief, got your bed about 1 o'clock at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you were away first thing on the Thursday morning to get back. Back to your work on Friday, and then you'd have to go again on Saturday, on the Saturday, yes. So, so that would be a that would particularly intense week if you did have a European game thrown into the mix, which many of the which will all of the FIFA games will, will 
people to various stages throughout the season. So you've obviously mentioned there some some high profile games, things like that. Um, what what would you say? How how challenging were they? You know, uh, there was the, the the famous game you were involved in. You refereed the the 2011 Old Firm game in particular. That must have been your most challenging and difficult one. It's the one that most people like to talk about, actually, on their car. The Old Firm games, um, they do carry a lot of baggage. There's no, there's no question. Um, throughout my career, I did six Ranger Celtic games, Celtic Ranger games, um, and looking back at them, actually, I probably had the full spectrum of games. My, my very first one was uh, a nil-nil, drab nil-nil. In fact, it was mentioned it's been the worst old firm game ever. Um, I had um, one at the very end of 2009-10 season when uh, Neil Lennon had taken over at Celtic and was, was in charge um, for his first time. And Celtic won 2-1 that game. Uh, and then the following year, I had the two cup ties, the 2-2 game at Ibrox, and then the replay, which... As you see, it was a particularly challenging evening with um, um, the Bagheera situation, the Juve situation, um, unfortunately. Had high, quite a high crane crank that night with, um, I think it was 11 yellow cards and, and three red cards in total. Mm-hmm. But when you look back at it as well, um, it was a lot of isolated incidents. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of physicality, the game wasn't necessarily physical, but um, there was a lot of incident, the game, individual incidents, and um, and a, a, a lot of um, characters on the pitch, which in, in this situation seemed to seem to make it particularly um, uh, hectic that that night. But you dust yourself down and you move on to the next one. And I had two other games within actually three weeks of each other in 2012 at the uh, Celtic at. Uh, at Ibrox, followed by the um, Celtic Rangers match at Parkhead. So full, full array of games, and what I tended to find was the games themselves were great games to do, but um, the, the, you know there is a lot of baggage that comes from old firm games. There's a concerted build-up, obviously the media like to uh, um, like to effectively attack the game from every, every avenue they've got, one of which is the referees, so they always like to know particularly when it was your first old firm game, there was a lot of um, spotlight on you um, and that doesn't really go away for any any old firm referee. So, but no, they, these were good games. The old firm games were probably the highlights. That's where the um, Edinburgh derbies, the five Edinburgh derbies um, during that time as well. Um, and um, the Scottish Cup final in 2011 as well. So, um, two Scottish Cup series. So, you also look back at them, um, once it dust settles, actually, and you, um, you know, you, you take a, a certain amount of pride uh, from doing it, but um, they're, they're great memories as well, and you, you've got a lot of people to thank for getting in that position as well. So it's it's not a one man band; you're part of a team that goes out there, and, and you know, good is the weakest link in your team. So we all need to have to rely on each other, particularly in these games, um, but, and that's that, that's really. Um, uh, as hard as it gets in Scottish football in the old firm games in the end of the I've watched that back. I thought you handled it very well. Um, the, with, with the likes of Bouguera, you know, he, he, was, he was grabbing your, your hand and things when you were trying to show him the card. Have you ever had anything like that before? Players up and all up in your face, things like that? Well, you, you do get players, um, you do get players challenging regularly as well. So, um, and Bouguera was, he was, he was actually 
quite a good natured guy when you dealt with him most of the time in, in, in matches as well. He'd always have a chat with you and he seemed to play with a bit of a smile on his face. Um, but I think he talked to me since as well and the frustration just got the got the better of him as well. He just he he, he, he felt that the, the second gel was, was unwarranted. I think he probably still does if I'm being honest. But um we had we had a laugh and a joke about it afterwards as well. But I think from from an FB's point of view, what we've got to what we've had to get across as well is You've got to stay strong, but you've equally got to stay, stay calm as well. And that's that's really important in these situations so you don't overreact and just deal with what's put in front of you. But yeah, it was an experience. It's an experience and um, it's something that you always, you always remember. So just on that, um, who was the most difficult player that you had to handle on a pitch? And maybe the best manager as well. Sorry, the, the, the toughest manager to deal with. It's a difficult question, actually, because... Um, Scottish football is, is particularly competitive um, and you deal with all sorts of characters, but I tended to find that the, the guys certainly that I find the hardest to deal with, um, don't like any names, but also the natural noble was quite a hard player to handle. Not It was quite temperamental, but it was really because he's changed the pace. And natural noble, as you, you might remember towards the end of his career, was, was used as almost like an impact player as a substitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd come on, on the park and you would um, I remember just even if your fourth official would tell you, right, that's natural novel coming on. You think, oh no, <laughs> because he was blustering pace. And you know that um, sometimes naturally had a reputation for causing a, a fight in an empty house. <laughs> so you know that you'd have to you'd have to your game or be aware of of the, of, of the potential for trouble when when Nalo Nocho came on. But there's so many competitive players that um, that. You had to deal with it and, and competitive in a good way and stuff, you know, committed to their teams. But it was an era where there was obviously there was um, there was Ian Black, Scott Brown, McCulloch, Lansley, and you had the you know, the, the manager deal was as well with your Jeffries, Jimmy Calderwoods, your um Dent McInnes, Neil Lynn McCoyst as well, could be could be um could be a handful at, at times as well. So um, but there was no no one manager to it, but if I would say ever ever fell out with or, or, or no longer had a relationship with it, I tended to find that the old school managers, like your Jim Jeffries, would, would perhaps give you both barrels. Um, and next time you saw them, it would be it'd be no difference at all with them. You know, they would be you'd have your your, your disagreements. Um, and I think over my over my um, 18, 18 year career in the seniors, I think there was only two managers. Who, who I, I dismissed during that whole time, which um, um, which is quite a low, I know, a low number, and um, always tried to give managers respect because at the end of the day, that ninety minutes as well, as long as they let you do your job and went, and went over, over the top about how, how they complained to you, you know, that you could recognise the, the pressure that they are under, and, and, and try and um, keep keep the lid on their emotions as best you could. So you, you must have shared the pitch with some superstars over the years, not just in Scotland, you mentioned international European games. Um, did you ever get flustered by being in the presence of, you know, such big household names? Um, and who, who were the best players that you've shared a pitch with? Other than the Jacobs twins at Livingston? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. No, lots, lots of good, uh, good players. I think I've mentioned a couple of competitive ones out there as well, um, who were, were great club players um, and um, you know would, would fight tooth and nail for, for their clubs um, in the European side obviously 
um, it's difficult to compare because um, the European games I, I, I was doing, it wasn't like a local derby, it wasn't like a Barcelona Real Madrid game you were doing, but you would maybe see players that were under less pressure, but um, did see, did officiate, was behind the goal actually, um, Barcelona, Shakhtar in the Champions League quarterfinal where the whole host of Barcelona players were playing, Iniesta, Xavi, um, finally, and um, they were just, they were just, it was like, like, like a basketball team, you know, the ball just moved all the time, it was not, not so much the players, it was just the ball was, was moving all the time, took risks at the back, but they, they, you, you were in on the ability, same with Ronaldo, Ronaldo um, had a change of pace, um, but um, in terms of great players, Wayne Rooney, Ryan Giggs, um, actually refereed Lewandowski's uh, debut when he played for Lech Poznan in, in Azerbaijan back in oh. 2008. He came on as a sub with 20 minutes to school and scored the winner. Um, and he went on from from Lech Poznan, he went on to, it was Dortmund before he, he travelled on further. Um, so, yep, yeah, you can, Nakamura as well, other, other great players in Scotland, Scotland Nakamura, Nakamura. Rudy Scatchell's good player. Russell Latifi was an outstanding footballer. Um, um, and you know, the, a, lot, a lot of great players um, without having to look, look, further, look further afield, uh, Callum. So, yeah, it was, it was great to be in the same park as, as well, but you had to, had to focus. And so sometimes my dad would come to the, to the games with me and you know, he, he would notice a player that because you're so intense refereeing the game, you wouldn't even notice the game and then you'd watch it back and realise how good some of the players were. You've mentioned as well there some some of the places you've been. You must have been to some terrific grounds and you know places in the world. Have you have you got a favourite stadium or a favourite game that you've refereed in? Um, on the European side, uh, there was fortunate one one particular season got a good a good number of what you would call the top grounds. Um, Benfica the Stadium of Light was. A great place to go in Barcelona now camp, um, and the German stadiums I went to were Leverkusen and Hamburg, which were great places to go. Um, and one of the most memorable experiences was um, Galatasaray's old stadium. You know the old El Sami is quite a famous stadium if you ever do your do your homework on it as well. So it's um, it was a great stadium to to go to as well. Basel, Basel was a great stadium as well, but. In seeing that, I think probably one of my favourite trips was actually up to the Faroe Islands, um, where um, it was the early stages of the, I don't even remember, the Intertoto Cup column, slightly before your time, but it was like a feeder, it was a feeder competition into the, the UEFA Cup, so, um, and a, I remember doing a, a number of games in the Intertoto Cup, and one was up in uh, Torshavn, which was, I think, Scotland played there before up in the Faroes, um, and it was really just the whole experience. It was, you flew to Copenhagen to start with, and then from Copenhagen you flew into the Faroe Islands, and the, the airport there was like a, an old military strip, so you had to sort of basically fly in between between two mountains, and it was starting to get foggy, and you think, oh my goodness, am I ever going to get down? And um, the pilot says, well, I'm going to try, try to get it down in a winter this time. So I think it was notorious for planes overshooting the runway and having to have another shot at it as well. So, yeah. but the game there was um, was between a team called HB Harper, Harper Boys, Torshavn and Elsborg, who were a good Swedish side at the time. A lot of internationals in, in their team, and um, because there was only there was only two hotels in Torshavn, 
one of which was where we stayed, another was up at the top of the hill where the the Ellsberg players were staying. So probably totally against protocol. We actually sat watching um, Euro 2008, sat beside the players of, of the Swedish team, team the night before the game. So having, having a, a chat with them, it was, it was a really good, a good experience, a good night. But that was a great place to go because it was, it was somewhere different. Um, but um, yeah, other great, great experiences as well, like going to Finland and um, Iceland as well. Places you would normally go. And um, former USSR um, republics like Azerbaijan and to Moldova, which is now in Moldova, and also to Latvia. So places, um, I think it was the Eastern European correspondent for a while, so you do get to, to visit places you would normally go. So, so great memories. Um, and when you're talking about, the, the, talking about encouraging people to referee, and not everybody can be a, a, a FIFA referee, but if you do sit, you know, you do set the goal for, for that, and the, the rewards are, are outstanding. You refereed a Scottish Cup final as well. That must have been maybe the maybe the pinnacle of your career as well. I think it's got to be. I think um, Scottish Cup final is, is what every referee should aspire to, whether it's as a referee or an assistant referee or even a fourth official. So it's the uh, it's the pinnacle of the season, um, and there's just um, there's just such a a special unique atmosphere at the Scottish Cup final. Usually associated with um, lovely sunshine and white bands and nice carnival atmosphere, but when I did it, I think it drained for about three days solid before the game. So it was it was chucking it down. You you retired around five years ago now. Um yeah. but but you're still involved, I believe, as a, a, a referee and mentor. Um can you tell me a little bit about your role and what it involves and how you got into it and things? Yes, surely, Callum. Um, effectively, when I retired from refereeing, I was asked to become what they call a referee observer. So you effectively um, go and assess, coach, mentor referees, um, as well as um, was asked to join the referee committee, SFA referee committee, to act both as a liaison between Edinburgh East of Scotland referees and um, the referee operations department at the department, um, and also to look after um, the female referees in Scotland as well to act as um, a mentor and a coach for them. So I've done that for four or five years now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's rewarding. It's, uh, it's, uh, in terms of, in terms of um, enjoyment, it's, it's, it's obviously it's slightly different from, from actually being an active referee, but you do get a lot of satisfaction if you see referees developing and ultimately progressing. And as well, it keeps you involved refereeing the day-to-day operational side of refereeing, whether it's training, whether it's meetings, and catching up with um, catching up with old friends, and ensuring that anybody that comes into refereeing um, from any walk of life and at any age um, are assured a warm welcome. And we would certainly, um, first of all, encourage them to join the referee family and give them every support that they can to to develop within that family and to. Ensure that they get the most out of out of what was ultimately a fantastic, uh, a fantastic hobby. So uh, on this podcast, we like to look back um, on your career. So um, when when did you realise that you'd kind of made it? Um, and sort of how how would you like to be remembered? Um, I think I think you never think you've totally made it. I think you're always looking ahead. I think the thing the time to 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 reflect on your refereeing, I think, is when you when you retire. I think there's no time. There's no time for um, doing too much self-analysis during during it. I think that 
Um, to go into your second question as well, I think it's it's up to different people how they how they perceive you, both as a as a referee or as a referee observer, or as um, somebody within the local association. I think um, uh, I've been fully committed to to refereeing. Um, I've enjoyed it, and I think if you enjoy something that time, that sometimes can be hard to battle, and that can that can shine through. So it's been um, it's been an integral part of my life, and I would certainly recommend it. Um, Anyone that's interested in football should certainly consider refereeing as an option, especially when you're as poor a footballer as I was. Thank you very much for your time, Callum. Really appreciate it. No problem, Callum. You take care. Thanks very much for listening to the first episode of the Full Time Whistle podcast. I hope you enjoyed. If you liked it, why not subscribe on the platform you listened on, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Anchor, and leave a review. Constructive criticism is always welcome, as I'm always looking to improve the podcast for you, the listener. All updates and announcements will be made on the Twitter, at the handle at the FT Whistle Pod. Give it a follow so you don't miss out on anything. Thanks very much again for listening, and all the best. Cheers.